Amen. Good morning, Grace Point. God bless you. Just feels different in here today, doesn't it? In worship, just I uh, gonna throw a wrench in my guys back there, gals. I'm not gonna do anything I gave you uh, this week. So the title's no good. All the verses are no good. Uh, I rarely do this, but I uh, I really felt during worship uh, something else just really dropping me. And uh, when I feel that. I just need to go with what's got life on it. Uh, so the sermon I was going to preach, it'll, it'll, it'll be a blog that'll go on this afternoon, tonight, uh, probably tomorrow. And uh, I can do that easily. I can put that in a blog form. Work too hard on it, just throw it away. Uh, please be here next week. We start, uh, some of you are new, and you may wonder what in the heck are they talking about. Well, it's in the Bible, <coughs> Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, it is one feast that God says that will be observed perpetually, uh, forever, he says, in Zechariah. And uh, so we, we, uh, it's a great opportunity to learn and see everything that God has done, that Jesus did from his arrival to his crucifixion to his birth. Uh, everything was in congruence with the feast of the Lord. They're not Jewish feasts. They don't belong to Jewish people. They're the feast of the Lord. So if you belong to the Lord, guess what? They're your feast as well. And if you don't know what any of that means, come next Sunday. And we will uh, always want you to have a foundation for that. It will help you to uh, not be blown away by winds of doctrines of uh, so-called crazy end-time preachers that don't know the Bible that try to scare the heck out of everybody. Uh, what I was going to talk about today uh, was the goodness of God. It'll be a new subject for me, but I thought I'd give it a whirl. <laughs> now, if you're new, I talk about the goodness of God all the time because the Bible says that's what leads men to repentance, and repentance means to think differently about God. And if you think differently about God, then you'll think differently about yourself, and then you'll think differently once you think about yourself about others. It'll just change your world and change your life. If you guys will find Second uh, Kings, the 20th chapter, in verse 1, and put that on the screen, because I don't even have it either. I could get it, but uh, this is what I feel like talking to you about, and I want to talk to you about the language, of, we'll just call this the language of promise, language of promise. Now, some of you have come today, and I feel this in my spirit, and some of you are brand new faces to me, and maybe you've been here before, so please forgive me if I look at you and go... I hadn't seen you before. Some of you, listen to me now, I believe more than one person. But I've seen God change a whole service just for one person before. Um, so some of you so desperately want God to speak to your specific situation. You want to know that he knows the mess you're in or the crisis you're facing or the terminal illness that's been spoken over you. And you want somebody to affirm by the Spirit that God knows that you're in that place. In 2 Kings 20 here is a, is a scripture, and we'll just kind of read through it right quick, but it's about King Hezekiah, great king of Israel, but he's gotten sick. And actually it's a terminal sickness. The Bible says it's a sickness unto death near death. 
And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. In case you don't know what die means, then God adds and not live. How many knows that's kind of like you're dead and then we shoot you again and you're twice dead? So when it says here that the Lord says to him, notice it's not the devil saying to him. Now let me tell you what fear and legal preachers do with this verse. They make it sound like or say what, what it doesn't say in that that is God is saying that he's going to kill Hezekiah. It doesn't say that, does it? It just says God tells him that set your house in order for you shall die and not live. Next verse. Then he turned his face toward the wall and he prayed to the Lord. That's always a good thing to do. That means when you turn your face to the wall, you turn off the TV. In Hezekiah's day, he didn't want anything distracting him because he's in a crisis and he didn't need to be distracted by any other, anything, so he just turns his face to the wall and he focuses on God. Next verse. He says, remember now, O Lord. Now, he does like a lot of people do. He tries to get by on his goodness and what he's done for God, which is all signs of law and letter and legalism. And we are in the old covenant here. But he says, I pray how I've walked before you in truth with a loyal heart. I've done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Okay. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Notice now, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you on the third day. You shall go up to the house of the Lord. Notice on the third day, next verse. And I will add to your days 15 years. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. Now this may sound strange to you, but how many knows there was no Walgreens in Bible days? But this is using a home remedy, we would call it. A prescription. This is something natural that you could get to put on problems, boils. Is what this is going to go on. And he said, and he, now the prophet's telling him to do this. The prophet said, take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the bowl and he recovered. Then Hezekiah says to Isaiah, what is the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I will go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? The prophet says to him, this is the sign from you to, the, from, uh, to you from the Lord that the Lord would do the thing which he has spoken. And then he says, shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees? Okay. Hezekiah said it's easy for a thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. No, but let the shadow go backwards 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. That's, that's, that's good enough. Let's pray. Father, uh, please help me today. <laughs> um, we love you, and we're loved by you. That's a really big deal. And I pray that everyone that hears this will just know how much you want us to, to know your goodness, your love, your mercy that has been bestowed on us through your son, Jesus. We give you praise, honor, and glory for all this accomplished
in your name, in the mighty name, Jesus Christ. Everybody said, you can be seated. Shake somebody's hand, smile, give them, say, pray for pastor. He don't have notes. <clears throat> right, listen to me. I don't think it's take too long. Uh, I'm so serious about this, though. I really feel this so strong. I've been doing this a long, long time. There are times in my life, by the mercies of God, that he uses us prophetically to speak into uh, people's lives. And we've seen tremendous, amazing, amazing things happen. Um, we sung about it this morning. God's a God of miracles, right? Did we mean it or we were just entertaining folks? No, we, we mean it. You could feel we meant it. You could tell the people, our praise team, you could tell they meant what they were singing and, and leading us into. And uh, I mentioned this to you some weeks ago, and it fits. And, and when I say the language of promise, I'm talking about your prophetic identity. You, you have a prophetic identity in here. It may not have been revealed to you. You may have not discovered it, seen it. It's in the Bible. You, you, you have that prophetic identity. You may not understand what I mean. And there's examples of it. I love stuff. You know, we, we got a new covenant, and that's the biggest problem that people don't understand. The church acts like it wasn't a big deal for Jesus to come. We didn't even need him to come. Uh, the, the church really gets really crazy. And, I, and just, just uh, you know, seriously, I'm not trying to say anything, but go on my website. Not now. Dale Young. My name is not Dale D-A-L-E, it's Dell, the computer company that I own. Y'all might have my laptop. D-E-L-L, dellyoung.net. That's, that's my website where you'll find a whole lot of articles about the goodness and the grace of God that'll help you. And it answers, and I love answering questions because I get, I get more than I can even get to. And I've got some people that have now discovered that I will eventually answer them, so they just keep writing. And uh, they come through Messenger or whatever on Facebook or whatever. And they ask some really tough questions. And the words of Jesus are very confusing to people sometimes because the words of Jesus are really in conflict with the words of the Apostle Paul. And they preach two separate messages. Some of you are looking at me strangely. But the cross, in other words, the New Testament does not start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Because the New Testament is a new covenant or it's a will. And how many knows that you can't go to your living person, even though you may be the beneficiary of the will, and say, I want the stuff now. They'll have to go, no, you have to wait till I'm dead. You just can't get it now. So the new covenant did not go into effect until Jesus Christ was resurrected. When he was resurrected, his blood had been shed. That is when the new covenant went into force. And, and it changed everything. Now what we have now currently is you have a storm, tropical storm Florence, and I get so sick of this, and I was actually going to talk about it, but I get so sick of this that here comes the doomsdayers and the prophets and the preachers and the merchandisers all telling you this is God's judgment on sin or that area. It was just a year ago we were doing this with Hurricane Harvey in, in Houston, and we, our heart breaks for the people in North Carolina and, and, all, and, and the people that are still yet to be affected by it. But it's not God judging sin. If hurricanes deal with sin, then God just needs to send a bunch of them. 
But hurricanes are not God's remedy, nor is it his solution to sin. Jesus Christ and the cross and the blood of Jesus is the remedy for all sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, he said he's finished. And so God, that's the remedy to, for sin. That's the, that's the answer to the problem of sin, not hurricanes. California don't ever get hurricanes. I don't think everybody's, you know, full of the Holy Ghost in California. I mean, I'm not knocking it. Don't get offended. But I'm just saying they don't get hurricanes. And I actually saw a guy post that. He said, you Bible Belt blankety blanks you know one thing we don't get out here in california is hurricanes he said i guess god is really peed off with you guys and he loves us it's just ridiculous but here i'm talking about preachers and, and preachers of notoriety and then they, they're sitting there i watched one guy this week and he's on his talk show and he just should know better man and he's a preacher but he does it like a talk show and he uses these opportunities of fear to sell and peddle his doomsday food supplies and all this stuff. And it's just, it's just, it's just nauseating. I'm surprised anybody even comes to church anywhere in America with all the junk that is thrown at them. And people say, well, God's doing this. God's judging this. God's... And you just don't understand the grace of God. You just don't know that somebody named Jesus died on the cross and God reconciled the world unto himself, not imputing. In other words, how could God be, how could God be punishing people for sin that he don't remember? He said in Hebrews 8, I won't remember their sin no more. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, he, over and over he says, I, 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 I don't impute their trespasses against them. I, don't, I remember their sins no more than you covenant. So if you don't remember them, then it kind of blows up the thing where you, tell, you said the Holy Ghost convicted me of my sins. He can't convict you of your sin. He convicts the world, the Bible said, of their unrighteousness because they don't believe in God. Holy Spirit's not reminding you of what God forgot because the Holy Spirit is God. And if that confuses you, another reason to go to my website because I've got a whole thing to explain that. You hear junk all the time and you just got to, I mean, it's just wrong. And most of that, I used to believe myself. Not only did I believe it, but I preached it. Stuff like God turned his back on his son on the cross because he's so holy he can't look at sin. That's not in the Bible. See how quiet it got? That's not in the Bible. God, it never says in the Bible God can't look at sin. If God can't look at sin, he can't look at none of us in here. A bunch of y'all sinned since breakfast. Some of y'all sinning right now, you're judging what I just said. <laughs> and I'm not saying we're sinners. Because if you've been born again by the blood of Jesus, you are now a saint. Irregardless of what you do or don't do, because it's not based on your performance, it's based on his. Right. The old covenant was based on your performance. The new covenant is based on his performance. Yes. Totally different. In the Bible, David got prophesied to. I mentioned this a few weeks to you. He, he didn't even get called to the meeting, but when the great prophet in the Old Covenant, Samuel, was told by God to anoint the next king of Israel. We, got, we only had one at that time, and that was King Saul. And he wasn't doing such a hot job. And uh, so God tells the prophet Samuel to go anoint the next king of Israel. And he tells him to go to the house of Jesse and to anoint one, one of those sons as the king of Israel. You would think God would just go ahead and name the kid, you know, but he doesn't. God doesn't, he, didn't do it, he don't do it like you think he should do it. So he doesn't name the kid. The prophet goes, and you know the story probably, if you've read the Bible. He lines up all of his sons, and 
the prophet doesn't see the king of Israel. And he says, are you sure this is all your sons? He said, well, no, I got one more son, but he's not. I didn't call him to the meeting because I just knew he wasn't on the list. I mean, he's out tending a little bit of sheep we got. And he said, we won't even, the prophet said, we won't even sit down till you go get him. And you know the story, they go get David, they bring David. And when the prophet Samuel sees David, he says, this is the king of Israel. And he takes the horn of oil and he pours it over David's head. And he prophesies and he proclaims that he shall be the king of Israel. Now listen to me, it will be 13 years before that prophecy comes to pass. Some of you have received prophecies from God and promises from God and they have not yet come to pass and you have begun to doubt that very strongly. Another thing that happens is that David was prophesied he'd be the king of Israel but he, goes, he, he leaves the meeting with oil dripping and he goes back and takes care of sheep. Later on, the Philistines come and encamp around uh, Jerusalem and David's brothers are all in the army and his dad sends food and provisions to him by the hand of David and says, go check on your brothers and, you know, bring me report back. So David goes and they're all cowering and hiding in ditches and there's just one big ugly dude named Goliath out there. And he's the biggest and the baddest, you know, and he looks like a WCW wrestler or some kind of deal, but he's a lot bigger than that. And he's out there taunting the Israel and tells them, you know, just pick a guy. He's like, we don't, all have, we don't all have to fight here. Just send me a man. You send me your best, and I'm out here, and if I defeat uh, him, then you guys all surrender to us. We take Jerusalem. But if, if he defeats me, we surrender to you guys. How about that? And that way we all, we all don't have to. I mean, let's just make it easy. Let's just bring it down to, you know, Imano, Imano. Like every good movie comes down to, you know, let's, let's get it on. So David hears this, and something raises up in him, and, and you know the story. He, he's like, is there not a cause? I mean, why are you all cowering down? I, th- I mean, this is God. This, guy, this, this, is, this guy's defiling the armies of God. And they tell David to shut up and go back to the house and leave the sandwiches and, you know, whatever. And, and, and David... You know, now some of you church folk won't like this, but David says, now, what did I hear would happen to the man that whoops this guy? Well, you get all your bills paid, you get to live tax-free forever, and you get the king's daughter, and you get a position in the palace. And they, actually, David asked him to repeat it to him a second time in the Bible. Well, I just want a little cabin in the corner of glory. Well, that's a spirit of stupid. <laughs> Number one, there are no cabins, and you're not getting one, and you don't really mean that anyway. Brother wanted to get paid if he's going to go out there. But this is what it says. It says he ran towards Goliath. Now, this is what I'm trying to get you to see. What is it that gives him that kind of... A lot of people say, well, he was just so brave. No, he had a promise. There was a language of promise that had been spoken to him. What was that promise that God gave him? He would be what? King of Israel. Is he king of Israel yet? No. So that means he's not going to die today. And that really sucks for Goliath. Because if somebody's got to die today, and the choice is between Goliath and David, it's not going to be David. That only leaves one guy. Now, if you know that, and you know the promises of God in the language of promise, that's why David ran towards Goliath, not from him. Because David's like, God promised me that I would be the king of Israel. I'm not king yet, so I'm not going to die today. This is not the day of my death. This is not going to happen And he runs toward Goliath, and we know the story. Goliath ends up being the one that dies. 
and the Philistines scatter, and that's the end of that. That's a great Old Testament story. Every kid gets that in Sunday school, right? But they miss that part about the language of promise. And there's things that God's promised you that you have to believe on. Now, in the New Testament, in Acts 23, I believe it is. If I'm wrong, don't, you know, kill me. But in the 23rd chapter of Acts, people are really getting aggravated with this guy named Paul. And he's the apostle, and, 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 and they're wanting to kill this guy. Because he was a Pharisee, and he was all this, and he was a guy that was helping kill Christians, and now he's the guy that's preaching Jesus. And they're really upset about this. And in this chapter, one time a riot broke out while they're trying to attack him. And actually, this is, listen to what the Bible says. It says that the soldiers went in there and grabbed Paul and rescued him, lest the people tear him to shreds or pieces. I mean, that's a pretty rough riot. And so after that happened to Paul, an angel of the Lord that night appeared to him. And this is what he said to Paul. Now, here, here comes a prophecy now. Don't matter how it comes, here it comes. New Testament, post the resurrection of Jesus, okay? So this stuff is still working after the cross here. Here comes a prophetic word to the apostle Paul. He says, God says to him, Paul, be of good cheer. Just as surely as you have preached for me in Jerusalem, shall you also bear witness for me in Rome. So God promised him that he would bear witness for, for God in Rome. Well, Paul hadn't at this point been to Rome. So that's no different than David being promised to be king. So if you're not king yet, you're not going to die today. Why? Because you have a promise from God. All right, so Paul gets a promise that you're going to bear witness for me personally to Rome. And, and what that would be is you're going to stand right before Caesar. That's what, Paul knew that's what that meant. All right, right after that is said to him, the next morning he wakes up. This is what he finds out. This is, this is in the Bible. The leaders in that town made a, swore an oath that they would not eat nor drink until Paul was killed. See, so when he opened the paper that morning, he sees an oath, sworn oath. Now, people give up a whole lot for you, but they ain't going to give up their McDonald's and their burgers and stuff. They're going to eat. If you don't believe that, come to Valos on Friday, Saturday night and see if folk, folk be eating. You better get there early or plan to go for a late dinner because you're going to be waiting wherever you go. Am I, am I speaking truth? But here these people said, we're giving up eating until we kill this man. Paul says, I can't die today. In Acts 28, I believe it is, they get in a tremendous uh, storm in the shipwreck. Uh, uh, the ship's going to wreck. But in the middle of the storm even, the soldiers, everybody's just freaking out. Paul maintains his sanity and he says there's going to be loss of the boat but I can't die because we ain't been to Rome yet and until I go to Rome I'm indestructible and if you want to live hang with me and do what I do do what I do because there's a language of promise from God to you and so Paul lived and every soldier and prisoner on that ship lived and in fact not only did they live 
the island they just happened to get marooned on. The leader of that island was sick and God used Paul to heal him. And the whole island, the whole island turned to Christ and believed on Jesus. Amazing story. Now, I've been doing this a while and over the years as you prophesy to people and, and you can't flip it on and off like a switch or any of that kind of deal. But let me tell you something I've had happen to me and I've seen it happen to many people that move prophetically and speak. The, the Bible says that we can all prophesy. Is that right? And it says prophecy is this. This, this, is, this is the definition of prophecy in its purest form. The, 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 a prophecy is meant to encourage you, to comfort you, and to build you up. It's like exhort, edify, you know, uses those words in King James. But that's what it means. So, so a prophetic word from God, as you read it through the scriptures, or as, or as somebody moved by the Spirit, inspired by God, speaks prophetically to you, Sometimes people may be speaking prophetically to you and they don't even realize it. God can use various means and methods. Don't get God limited down to one little deal. But, when, but, but listen to me. I mean, even just the, the other day, now not from this church because I hit this fairly often enough that I think it, it, it keeps, keeps that dumb devil from popping up in here. But I told you if, you, if you have a dream and you see me you know, laying in a casket holding a lily, don't share it with me. Don't email it to me. I don't want to hear it. Don't tell it to somebody close to me that you know will tell it to me. That's called backdooring me. Don't do that. My dad today is in the hospital. Some of you may be wondering where he's been in the last few weeks. It's just... As your parents get older, and my dad's been suffering from some things, dementia, it's just, it's, it's one of the most horrible things that, that our family's had to, to face. And uh, actually, a couple, you know, a couple, just a week or so ago, just a little over a week ago was his birthday. Actually, he went to the hospital on his birthday. What a present, right? And uh, it's just been really tough. Um... Being diagnosed with something that a lot of people don't really understand very well, even the medical community doesn't, is Lewy body dementia. It's not Alzheimer's, which used to be just a catch-all. Uh, but uh, it's the same thing that Robin Williams got diagnosed with. A lot of people don't realize that. I think Robin Williams, comedian, just you know, freaked out and took his life. No, he got diagnosed with that, and I read the article that his wife wrote. And we sure don't endorse anybody committing suicide or anything like that. But he just read what the, what the future held with that, and it's incurable. And he just decided he wasn't going to take that ride. And his wife wrote an article about a month or two after his funeral, just wanted everybody to know that would read the article. This is why my husband did what he did. Not because he was some mentally unstable nutcase. He just wasn't going to put himself through it. Or us. And it breaks your heart. We want to be used of God to heal people and to see God do the things that he promised us in his word. We've sung about it today. I've seen God do tremendous, mighty miracles. I'm expecting them always. I, I pray about them always. But, you know, even as I've watched my mom suffer, and she's with my sister, and 
it's just a tough time right now. And uh, he's actually up in Fitzgerald and looking at the other future things. And it's just gotten really bad. Uh, and so we get somebody has a dream. And it's just, I won't even be more specific than that. And they tell it to somebody. And then that somebody tells it to my mom. And my mom tells it to me because she's all worried. And I said, they're just stupid, Mom. They just, they've, they're so churchy that they just got a spirit of stupid on them. I said, Mom, God don't do that. You're tormented, you're worrying. That even added weight and anxiety and burden, and you're already beat down to the ground. I don't care who it was. I don't care how many tongues they spoke in while they said it. That's bull. Don't listen to them, Mom. They should have had better sense to tell you something like that in the middle of this. It just shows they don't, they don't even know what they're doing. They just, and they claim to be, oh, well, I just want to share this. You, oh, God, help me. I want to just go lay hands suddenly upon people like that and repeatedly. Spirit of slap comes on me. Don't, don't be that person. Don't be that Christian. If what you say to anybody don't encourage them, if it don't build them up, if it don't bring comfort to them, keep your mouth closed. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just because you dreamed it don't mean it's from God. Just, just don't do it. Let the church be what the church is to be and let us be that comforting Building up, encouraging. And, and I've had people get mad with me and other prophetic people because maybe sometimes, and, and it, it's going to happen. It's, gonna, it's happened here. Okay, so let's say somebody of um, very poor community reputation comes in and visits us today. I don't know these people. Never seen them. So I don't know, you know, what their moral life is. And yet, it may be in the service, God would move upon me to prophesy to that person. And so I would speak to that person, maybe, and I would speak and, and, and prophesy the word of the Lord to them. And it may be great and grandiose things. And then I've had people get upset about it, talking about, well, you must be a false prophet because you, you, you didn't know who that was. I mean, that's the biggest whore in town. And you just prophesied these great and high and lofty things. And see, you don't understand You don't understand prophecy. God's going to speak to the highest and the best in your life. How does God deliver people out of sin and out of these things? By highlighting their sin? No. He, what I told, he extracts the precious from the vile. God said in the Old Testament, if you want to be my spokesman, extract the precious from the vile, then you'll be my spokesman. We don't need people to report the weather to us. We already know it's raining. Okay, we already know. We, we need you to speak something different to us, a different language to us. I remember years ago this, not a personal friend of mine, but somebody I greatly respect, but in one of his meetings, this guy came up for prayer. And, and, and so he prophesied to this person. And the prophecy went something like this. I, you know, he says, uh, you know, I just see you, you know, 10 years from now. Or some, you know, 10 years from now. And you're... Uh, 
I just see you in the mission field and in Africa and, and preaching the gospel and you're doing this and you're doing that and you, you know, you're just being mildly used to God. And uh, that's a lot of times I'm prophesying people. I try to close my eyes so I can't even look at, you know, whether they jee-hawing or not, you know. I mean, that's, it's, and uh, so, but the guy said he could tell the guy was kind of getting, no, you know, noticeably upset about the prophecy. And so, you know, he finishes the prophecy and he goes on to somebody else. And anyway, after the service, the guy comes up and wants to talk to him. And, he, and he's really angry now. So he's talking to this guy that's prophesied to him. And, and, and so the, the prophetic guy says, I, I can tell you're angry. And he said, yes, I am angry. And he said, you're a false prophet. And he said, well, I've been called that before. But, uh, you know, that's fair. What, what, what's the deal? Well, I've been diagnosed with leukemia. And I've been given four months to live. And here you are babbling on about me going to Africa 10 years from now. So that, that proves your faults. I wanted God to speak to me about leukemia and about my healing and my deliverance. And here you are babbling about me going to Africa. That's the last thing on my mind right now. See, you don't understand prophecy. Why, why, why you need God to tell you you got leukemia? The reason you hear because the doctor told you you believed him. Don't you know you got leukemia? Do you really need that prophesied to you? Don't you know you got this or that or this disease? Don't you know you're about to go bankrupt? Do you really need me to call you out and tell you you're about to go bankrupt? Don't you know what zeros look like in your checkbook? Don't you know your problems? Do you need, to do you need me to tell you your problems that you already know you got? Or do you need me to speak a different language to you that will be something that will extract you out of that. Now what the prophet said to him, he said, okay, listen to me. Now either what I'm saying to you is from God or it's not. And if it's from God, then what God is speaking to you about is he's telling you that 10 years from now, you're going to be on the field in Africa preaching the gospel. So that means you won't be dead in four months. So if you're looking for a word for healing, you just got it. You just got a promise of your healing. So you know what the guy, he, he thought, he said, in other words, he said, okay. So in other words, I came into this meeting with a sentence of death and a word of death on me. And I'm not saying it wasn't real. He's diagnosed. The doctors said, the doctors don't want you dying. They want you healed. Four months, you, you got, I would say you got four months, he said to live. So people get desperate when that happens and they go somewhere. So four months. He says 10 years you'll be on the field in Africa. Now that's not a word of death, that's a word of life. But you have to believe it. So he chose to believe it. So you know what he did? Because it was always had been on his heart to be on the mission field. You know how that stuff does you, Right? So he went and enrolled in a mission school, a one-year-long missions training program. All right, by the time that he got on his first day of class, he's two months away from his, you know, supposed to die. But he decided if he died, he'd die sitting at the, you know, learning about missions. So he's in the mission class, and he lives those next two months. Now he's passed his four months death sentence, and he's still alive. And then the class lasts a year, and he goes on through it. Now, after he passes his four months of uh, missions 
well, he'd been four months sentenced, and he's still in the missions program. So he lived four months, and he's passed that, and so he goes back to the doctors, and uh, he's seeing them anyway, and they tell him that uh, your leukemia is in remission. Now, it's not gone, but you're in remission. Now, maybe right here is a good time to pause and go, well, why would God do it like that? Why wouldn't God just instantly heal the guy? Well, why would God tell a prophet to put fig poultrous, is it poultry? What do you call it? Poultice on boil. Now, God just said through the prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah, uh, I'm going to give you 15 more years of life. That's what I'm going to do. And then the prophet says to him, but we need to put some medicine on this boil because, brother, that thing's looking ugly. We need to cover that. We need to put some salve on that. We need to put some, you know, polished sporin on that. That was their polished sporin. That was to kill infection, and that's why they used those figs like that. That was their medicine. Now, here's God. This is this big-time supernatural. But yet, in this, we've got natural things going on as well. Even with the prophet, God says, on the third day, you'll go to the house of the Lord healed. Well, why can't we just get healed now and get out of the bed and eat eggs and, 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 and you know, Captain Crunch or something and, and get on with the day? What? Because it's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. The, the, the problem is not with your disease or your problem or your crisis. It's just your heart that believes or don't believe in God and in His goodness. And listen, God wants to heal you in your journey. I've seen God do instant, kaboom, miracles. And I've seen it take a while. God didn't say that believers lay hands on the, on the sick and they shall instantly recover or get a miracle. It says they shall recover. I don't know if you ever recovered anything you lost, but sometimes it takes you a while. God didn't say that the believers should lay hands on the sick and everybody's going to get an instant miracle. Just, I, I've been the recipient of instant miracles. But then I've been the recipient of recovering. From the time I was born, born with, with problems in my feet and ankles. Told you the story before. But I got to a place years ago. In fact, it's been quite a while because at that time, during that time, I was 38 years old. I was suffering. I had been under two years of care. Two years. Two years. I gave an orthopedic, in other words, I gave a podiatrist, foot specialist, a year. I'm pretty loyal. I'll hang with you. But I'm none better. I'm not the woman. I grew worse in the Bible, you know. So then I changed over. Somebody told me about this orthopedic surgeon guy to you know, go to him. So I went to him. He diagnosed me. He told me if I'd done all the things that he told me to do, took all the medicines and done all the physical therapy and, and wear the night cast every night on the, the one that was so bad, which was my right ankle, this is his exact words. He looked at me. He said, if you'll do this religiously, he said, and don't miss. In six months, possibly, you may begin to become, you know, the pain go away. Six months. Take the steroids and do all the things I tell you to do. I'm not walking out there skipping that day. So I asked for prayer a lot of times to different people. And so one night, during the Feast of Tabernacles, at a church I pastored on a Friday night, I came out of the place of prayer, and I, and I knew in my heart that God said, I'm going to heal tonight. 
he, he wants to heal all the time. You are, by his stripes, you're healed. I never dreamed it would have anything to do with me because I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to be one laying, you know. I remember, and you remember, and I told her, and I, I don't ever tell her what I'm doing. Like I'm sitting there by her just a few minutes ago, and I'm like, if she knew I'm supposed to go up here with nothing, she's going to be so nervous. So, I won't, you know, she'll just get it when y'all get it. And so I, uh, I told her. So that night I am preaching in my church about the man that was at the pool of Bethesda. Now, I don't say he'd been there 38 years. It just says that he has been in that condition for 38 years. Okay? Now, they had all come to the feast in the Bible is why he was there. And listen to me. Now, hang on to me. That there was a myth that if you would go and hang out around this pool of water, that every now and then, you know, an angel would come down and stir the water, and then the first one to hit the water got healed. Now, y'all look at me like y'all ain't heard that preached, right? And so here's what preachers even do today. Oh, God's stirring the waters. Y'all get in. Get in while the waters are stirred. Get in while the waters is troubled. I even heard a few years ago, a guy went down to you know, Walmart and bought one of the little plastic blue pools in his revival. Filled it half full of water. And he preached that that whole week about every night and told everybody that the waters was troubled. Y'all come get it. And they'd run down there and they would jump into the pool, you know. Splash around. Shikamo Shundai. Untie my bow tie. And just like splashing and getting wet after the revival was over, that's about all you had. Just wet feet and nobody healed. And See, I don't care how weird the stuff you do. As long as when we get through, we ain't got no more cancer. As long as when we get through, I mean, if I say I got eye trouble and can't see out of one of them, I'll let you spit in my eye as long as I can see when you get through. But if all I got is your spit running down my blind eye, I'm going to use my good eye to punch you. <laughs> so I'm not opposed to weird. I'm just opposed to weird mess with no fruit for just the sake of being weird. And that's stuff we need to quit doing in the church. And again, please don't get mad. It just shows our ignorance of the Bible. Do you, listen to me. Look at me now. Look. Come on. Do you really think that that's how our Father heals sick people? Is that how you think he is? Come on now. We're talking about the nature of God here. So is that how you think God heals? You, do you think God is like, man, look at that. Man, we got a crowd today. Look around that pool. Man, I ain't never seen so many sick folk. I tell you what, <clears throat> come here, angel. I'm going to, y'all gather around now. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be, you want to watch this. I'm going to send that angel down there and I want you to stir them waters. And as soon as they see them waters bubble up, Starting pistol, and they're off. The blind men come up on the left side. Uh, the lame men come up on the inside. Okay, is it going to be the blind man or the lame man? The blind man or the lame man? And they're crawling toward the water. Watch that lame man go. Watch that lame man go. All of a sudden, the lame man, he wins. He gets your healing. Tough cookies for the blind man today, not your day. So you don't get this at every church. Now look at me. They still preaching that mess today. I bet somebody in Balos is preaching that today. That's how prophetic I am. 
And they're telling you that that's how God heals. See, that's a race. And so it's got nothing to do with faith. It's got to do with physical ability to get your butt in the water first. So you, you think that's how God heals people? No wonder you don't receive healing. That would be a sick, sadistic person, ruler, much less a daddy that would do that to his kids. Would you say to your three children, all right, I know y'all all sick and you're running a fever and, you know, got measles here, but the first one can make it to the kitchen, you know, I'm going to bless you with this and the other two, you know, tough for you. Man, they lock you up for that. You're going to accuse God of that? Well, it's in the Bible, Brother Dale. Yeah, it's put in there by the translators of the Bible so that you'll know why people are hanging around the pool. If you're reading a New International Version and you're reading that section of Scripture, you won't even find those verses in there. You'll find an asterisk with a note, and the verses will be in the study Bible at the bottom telling you that they don't appear in the original sex. Because God don't heal. See, let, let, now let, come on, get this. I'm about done. Listen to me. A lot of people are believing for their deliverance, their healing, or whatever they need from God off of fairy tale myths just like that. Now Jesus walks up to the guy and just says one question. Do you want to get healed? That appears like a really ridiculous question because that's the reason I'm here. I mean, I don't know if you know, but this is kind of like our hospital. This is where we hang out. No, the reason they're hanging out there is because of a myth. And that myth puts really bad light upon Father. It makes him look like a very sadistic, uncaring ruler, much less a loving Father. And Jesus says, none of that's right. All I need you to tell me, do you want to be made well? Well, I ain't got nobody to put me in the water. And Jesus said, ain't about no contest, bro. Stop believing in lies. It ain't about that. Nobody ever got healed down there They're like yeah, hanging out in that pool. you got to be careful what you tell desperate people. Because, listen, if they're really desperate and dying and suffering and hurting, they'll try anything. I remember one time I was going through a rough place in my life in 1985, going to church, and Christians are full of advice. And I wanted some. I wanted somebody to tell me something that set me free. They told me, said, well, brother, you just need to stand on your word. And I said, well, I'm doing that. And they said, no, no, I mean physically. You need to take your shoes off and stand on your Bible every day, and you need to say these verses. So that's what I did. It didn't work. Plus, it's bad on the binding of the Bible, too, when you weigh as much as me. And then another, I'm not making this up. Then another, you, know, you know, we li- I mean, we lived it. Then another Christian said you need to anoint every door, you know, in your home and, and window. With olive oil, anointing oil, and you need to say these prayers. My house smells like olive oil. Some said you need to fast, you need to pray. I was already on a fast, so I couldn't eat physically. Somebody said you need to go see this counselor. They're good. I went and saw that counselor. Somebody said you need to do this, you need to do that. You gotta be careful what you tell desperate people, because they'll try it, because they're hurting. And they just want free. That's all. They just want deliverance. I remember when I got down to the bottom of that barrel. This was before I started preaching. 
God wasn't doing any of this to me. And it wasn't because of no sin. Not that I was perfect, but it wasn't because I, you know, some big sin. I, you know, my wife knows this is true. She's sitting right here. That every day on my lunch hour, I would come home because I was raised in Pentecost. And that means we yell our prayers to God. <laughs> I don't have to now, but I realize he hears even if I pray it from my heart. But then I thought the louder the better. And I'd come home every day at lunch, wouldn't I? I was living off of Gatorade. I had lost down 29 inches in the waist. I had been admitted to the hospital one time. I had been told I had bile dumping into my stomach, eating the lining of my stomach, and anything I put in my stomach came back up. I was miserable. And I'd been going for months like that. Months. All my other trials had lasted weeks. This one was going for months. And I remember I would come home every day at lunch, try to drink some Gatorade, and I'd go to our back bedroom. And I'd pray with a baby. Loud. And for 50 minutes, because I was four blocks from my office, and I was the chief of Tiff County Emergency Medical Service, and I lived four blocks from my office, and I would pray 50 minutes, as loud and as hard as I could, every day, trying to live. And I seemed none better. My first cousin had been arrested for habitual violator, DUI, many times. This time he was in Jackson State Prison. He had been to Reesville before. Now he's in Jackson State Prison. He was even there with that Atlanta child molester guy, murderer. And we hadn't communicated in years. I didn't despise him or anything. We just didn't communicate. And he was in prison. We didn't. I'm, I'm living in Tifton. And, and so one day his dad called me on the phone. And he said, uh, Dale, I got a letter from prison today from Phil. It's about you. I want to read it to you. Now, buddy, it's been three months. I actually, and, and I'm not dramatizing. I'm not being overdramatic. I'm not exaggerating the stories. I mean, this is the truth. I had my dad accompany me to the doctor another time. He wanted to readmit me again. I hadn't even paid the bill from the first trip. You know what I'm saying? And the reason they want to readmit me because I'm not eating, so I'm dehydrated. They want us to do the fluid things and all that. Well, I've done been through your whole battery of tests. You already told me what's wrong. I'm not going in. I actually, I, at first, he said, I'm going to admit you. And he walked out of the room to go start the admission orders. He came back in, and, and my dad was in the room with me because and, and, he was, that's how worried he was. And I'm 26 years old at that time. And, he, and, and dad says, uh, and he comes back in, and the doctor says, uh, okay, we, we're getting your orders together. We're going to get you admitted, get you across the street to the hospital. I said, I'm not going. He said, what? I said, I'm not going to be admitted. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm just not, I'm not going. And I remember he got right on the end of my nose. And he said, look at me, Dale. He said, do you understand me? I, I'm telling you that I'm going to write you up, what they call it, AMA, against medical advice, but just to save my own hide. But he said, you are going to physically die if you don't get some help and break this cycle. He said, you understand me, son? I got tears now rolling down my face. Yes, sir. He said, Mr. Young, do you hear what I told your son? Yes, sir. You're a witness. I'm telling you, you will die physically if you don't break this cycle you're in. I said, I understand that. I walked out of that doctor's office. I stood in that parking lot to get back in my car to drive back to Tifton. I said, Daddy, you heard what he said. If somebody don't get a hold of God from me, I'm done for. I can't save myself. 
My daddy put his arms around me, weeping, said, son, I don't know what else to do for you. We're just trusting God. I got in that car, drove back to me. I had to pull over halfway there on 41, open the car door, hang my head out and dry heave. That's how nauseated I was every day of my life. My uncle called me. It was within days of that meeting with that doctor. My uncle called me and he said, I got a letter from your cousin today. And it's all about you and I want to read it to you. And so he begins to read this letter. And I'm, I'm in my office, the EMS chief of the Merchant Medical Service TIF. And I'm sitting in my office. And I'm on the phone. And my uncle is calling me. He, he works in Valdosta then. And he's on his job. And that's where my cousin, his son, had mailed the letter. So he's reading it to me. And the letter goes like this. He said, Daddy, he's talking to his daddy. He said, Daddy, I had a dream about Dale. And he said, it was last night and it was more real than any dream than, I, than I've ever dreamed. So I, therefore, I believe it was a vision. He said, I saw Dale and his face was very sad. He was crying and tears was coming out of his eyes. And he said, all around him, it was snowing. And the snow was accumulating heavily all around him. And, and, and the more he tried to walk into the snow, the deeper into the snow he would go. He said, I saw Dale reach down and take two crutches and he tried to to walk through the snow with those crutches. And the more he used the crutches, the deeper into the snow he went. He said, I heard a voice from heaven say, Dale, throw down your crutches. And he said, the look on his face was, it was the wrong thing to do. But he said, finally, Daddy Dale threw down those crutches. And as he threw them down, he said, the clouds removed and the sun came out. And the sun began to shine brightly. And he said that it began to melt the snow all around him. And he raised both of his arms to heaven and began to praise and magnify God. He said while he had both arms raised to heaven, he said a suit of armor descended and slipped over his shoulders and onto his body. And he said the snow now had all been melted and turned into a great big lake. And he said, Daddy, I saw Dale reach down and take a fishing reel. And he began to cast it into those waters in that lake. And he began to catch fish, Daddy, big fish, but they had faces of men. But they looked like they had been attacked and mangled all over. But he said as he would reel them in and he would reach down to pull those fish out, they would change to full-fledged men. And they would raise both of their arms and hands and begin praising and magnifying God. He said, Daddy, read this dream to Dale. I'm drinking of those waters again. As he read those words to me, the Spirit of the Lord came on me so strong. Not a shouting feeling. I felt like someone had heated up something viscous, oil like olive oil, and, the, I, and it was running down my esophagus. And I felt it when it got into my stomach, I felt it kind of swirl around. And I knew that I had been healed. Now, I don't mean I went home that night and eat a steak because I hadn't eaten very much in three months. But I knew I was healed. And day by day, meal by meal, my appetite returned. My health recovered. And I knew that I knew that God was calling me to do what I'm doing this morning 
and to cast the gospel reel into that lake where men had been mangled and attacked all over by the enemy and do my best to preach the gospel to see them out of that place. Now, that story is true, and it's all amazing. And I'm the kind of preacher that needed that Holy Ghost facts from heaven before I was going to sign on. Well, that wasn't the only thing, but that was a real biggie, I want to promise you, in my life. And it wasn't but just a few months after that encounter that I surrendered my life to preach the gospel. It would be years later that I would come to Valdosta, whole long story, to a church that you're now sitting in that was known at that time as Southland. And I came down here, and we were less than we are this morning, number-wise. And I was having Wednesday night service trying to get to know everybody, and I was the new preacher. I was, I was here, and I was starting to have a little bit of second thoughts every now and then. And <laughs> I was wrestling, like, why did I leave my church of 300 and come down here? Am I sure this was God? I hope I didn't make a mistake. I hope I heard right. I'd come on Wednesday night, and it'd be 30, 40 people. I remember one Wednesday night after I got through teaching, a man walked down the center aisle right where, and he come up here, and he said, I just wanted to shake your hand, preacher. I enjoyed your teaching tonight. He said, I, uh, it's amazing to me. He was doing like this. He said, it's amazing to see this building as a church. He said, I used to work here. He said, when it was a factory. I said, yeah, I knew they told me it was a factory. He said, yeah, when I worked here, it was ITT, Thompson Industries. And uh, he said, I, I worked for a guy named Jimmy Young. I said, that's my uncle. I said, I knew he worked for IT&T, but I didn't know where the location was. He said, it was this building. He said, he began to describe our offices and the office that I now occupy was where the, the boss of this resided. And the adjacent office now that we have a little conference room was my uncle's office. It was from that office. It was from that office that that call from my uncle came to me to Tifton. Can I tell you that I walked out of here that night? And I tell you how 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 um, I can be. I can have a spirit of cynicism. I can be. Pray for me. I need it. The next morning, I called my uncle that I hadn't talked to in years. I said, Uncle Jimmy, I had a guy call come to church last night. And told me he was blah blah whatever worked for you. He said, Oh yeah, that's, I, I know him. I said, He said that the building that I'm preaching in, that was that was where you were. He said, Yeah. And then he said these words. He said, son, that's where I called you from that day. He said, don't you ever doubt that you're not exactly in the plan of God and where God wanted you to be, pastor in that church. Coincidence? I don't think so. Before this was a church, God said, I will do this. And it will be a big old 50-piece faith token that he can keep in his pocket. And when he's ever walking around in this building, doubting whether he should be here or not, I'll remind him of my plan for him. 
and that this is where I called him to preach from, was from this building and from his office. And many times I walked past that office, leaving my office, and I looked to my left, and I look in that room. And we got a little cute conference table there and all that, and I appreciate that, but I'll look in that room, and what I see is my uncle sitting behind the desk making that call in 1985 that saved my life. Oh, God did it. It was God. I'm telling you that the God we sung about, you guys sung about, he is a miracle working God. And I want to tell you that he's got a plan, and it ain't just for preachers. It's for every one of you. And God's got a prophetic language that he wants to speak to you. Now, many of you today, God gave you a promise. Sometimes what the mistake we make is sometimes somebody may speak, speak prophetically to us about like that guy did to that guy 10 years from now. You know what we do in the church if we're not careful? We wait to 10 years from now to start trying to step into that word. As soon as God speaks to you prophetically, whenever that was or whatever he said to you in the past, then step into it in that moment. Because a lot of times your healing will come in the journey. Jesus told ten lepers that were dying of leprosy, terminal disease. He said, go show yourself to the priest. Well, the only reason to show yourself to the priest is so he can put you back in public society and declare you're clean. But as they looked at their condition, they were still as leprous as they was after they talked to Jesus as they were before they talked to Jesus. But the Bible says, as they went, they were cleansed. Sometimes you just need to take that step of faith and just head towards the promises of God. And let God take care of the problems along the journey. Because God's with you for the journey. He's with you every day and he's with you for the long haul. And just because you don't see what was promised to you 10 years ago, I mean, are you, are you walking towards it? Are you heading towards that? Just be like that guy. Oh, I see you 10 years on the mission field. Well, start taking mission courses in. Now, if you don't believe it's a word from God, don't do it. You'll learn like I've learned. Everything that everybody says to you in the church, in the parking lot, or in the pews, that don't mean it's from the Lord. That's why prophecy must be judged. You don't judge the Bible, but you judge prophecy because why? Because even though the word may be pure, the people that God speaks through to get it to you, they're not. They're not perfect. But the word that God releases to you is. I don't know if this has helped anybody today, but I, I, I felt this so strong. And, and there's some of you that have come. Today And God wanted you to be reminded of the promise that he gave you. Some of you 10, 20 years ago, he promised you something. Maybe to some moms in here or grandmothers. It, it was the promise of the salvation of your children. And you're yet to see that. Please don't doubt it. It may be the promise of being in business and being an owner of a business and an entrepreneur and own your own business. And it hadn't happened. Don't give up on it. Are you taking courses about being an entrepreneur? Are you listening daily to podcasts and things that will help build your confidence? Are you learning and getting training and skills in that area? Then don't grumble then if you're not doing anything about the promise. Walk in the promise. Sometimes you've got to, even though you've got a promise you're going to get 15 years, you've still got to put figs on the, on the sore. You've still got to do some natural things. And you'll get those 15 years. You know what 15 is? Three times what? Fifteen. Five. And five is the number of grace.
And the reason you get 15 is because Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is all grace, man. The grace of God comes to you. And Hezekiah got 15 more years. You know, one thing that, that I read from Scripture that is just my seeing of Scripture, what I, one of the reasons, now listen to me. God was not wanting Hezekiah to die. Listen, if God wanted Hezekiah to die, he would have never sent him a warning. Why would God send and say, you shall die, you shall not live, set your house in order? Number one, your house is not in order. Do you wonder why your marriage is dying? Because you're out of order. You wonder why your finances are dying? You wonder why things are, because you're out of order. God blesses order, and he can't bless chaos and confusion. Do you know why Cracker Barrel is so popular? Making you hungry, right? But in every Cracker Barrel, you have never opened the door and walked into the kitchen. You don't, do you? I don't care if it's laid out with the left entrance or the right, but when you open the door at Cracker Barrel, what is the first thing you see? The gift shop. The gift shop. And you got to walk past all that stuff to get to the desk where the person is waiting to say how many. And sometimes you get so, you know, how many do you see? That's how many. <laughs> Two. And then they seat you. But you don't have to get confused. And once you've ever gone to one Cracker Barrel, you feel pretty confident going to a second one, right? Because they're all laid out the same. That's called order, people. And God blesses order. And there's got to be order in our lives. And God says, set your house in order. Listen to what it doesn't mean. Okay, set your house in order because I'm going to kill you. God says, I love you. The reason all this death is on you because you're so out of order here. And I'm warning you, this is the devil's plan for your life. Come on, man. Because listen, listen, you know, you know what people think in the church world? I'm done. Listen, set your house in order. I'm going to get your wheel, get your papers together because your butt's about to be gone. Uh, come on, y'all know that's the way they do it. God said set your house in order. Why? Because God knew that if he set his house in order, he would not die. Because it was that chaos and confusion and disorder that was bringing the death into his life. Now, ain't that a grace for you of that verse? Don't believe that mess of religion. God wanted him to live. And that's why when he turned his face to the wall and he's going to change his thoughts about everything, that's why God stopped the prophet before he even got out of the courtyard and said, go back and tell him that he's, he's made enough of a, of a turn towards me to get 15 years. And if you read the first verse of the next chapter, it talks about Hezekiah's son, and it says he was 12 years old when he began to reign. 12 minus 15 is what? It's not hard, y'all. Three. In other words, every king of Israel needs something before he leaves the earth, and he needs a what? A son to leave the throne to. Do you know one of the ways that Hezekiah was out of order? He was being very selfish, and he didn't have a son. Man, not even been married. God gave the brother three years to find a wife, get married, get her pregnant, and get a son. And when that son got to bar mitzvah age of 12, where he could be declared a man, God put him in the throne of kingship, and that fulfilled his guys 15 years. Look at all this Bible. Y'all are learning up in here this morning. God is a good, good, good father. And he loves you. And just like the testimony... He had a plan for my life. God didn't have to do that. Oh, but that little Wednesday night, I said, could it be?
that in this very building is where you called me to preach from, that I now find myself as pastor. God said, yes. God's like, I knew that would blow your socks off, Dale. I, I've, been waiting for, I've been waiting for all these years for you to unwrap that, that present I had waiting on you. I've been waiting. You know that guy that came and told me that? Now, this is going to really stretch some of you, and I'm not saying it is. But that guy was so used of God, and he don't even have a clue. That guy just came here Wednesday night, never seen him before since. He said he was actually just traveling through Valdosta. And he'd heard that this was a church, and he thought he'd come check it out. And he came and sat here that Wednesday night, and he, and he had, to, and had and walked up to me and, and talked to me about it. He was totally used of God to encourage me. And I'll never forget that. And I'll never get tired of giving that testimony. And you have a plan that was laid out a lot longer than 15 years ago, a lot longer than 30 years ago, the foundation of the world. Now, li li listen to me. Stand up. Stand up. Now, see, it's okay. Look at me. We, this is the problem when you don't have notes because you might go a little bit longer. Listen, listen, listen to this right here. Give Jesus a stretch. As soon as my wife wakes up every morning, she does this. She sits on the side of the bed. <laughs> every morning. Every morning. Now our little granddaughter, Addie, she, she, she done picked up on that. She's, got, she's picked up on She's stretching. The other morning, she just kept stretching. Uh, wasn't I'm like, okay, you know, one stretch is due. <laughs> when I tell them to take the little clothes off to get on their bathing suit or, or get on their pajamas, you know, always, both of all of them, I'll say, praise the Lord. They throw their hands up. They know that. Raise their hands so I can get their, their, their clothes off. Isn't that a better way to tell them to get their hands up? Just say, praise the Lord. But if you say, praise the Lord, my, my grandbabies, they raise both hands up. They think you can take their top off where they can put their bathing suit on and go swimming or something, you know, or their jammies on. But listen to me. Listen, I say the best for last. Listen. God had a plan for sin before sin ever was. God made a plan to deal with sin, to, to redeem man from sin before any sin had ever even been committed. Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, Revelation 19. Is that right? So if Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, that means before there was a world, God had already made provision for the remedy of the problem of sin. So listen, so if God made a plan for sin before sin was ever even committed, what does that tell you about God? What does that tell you about God? It tells you that sin does not change God. Amen. Sin does not and did not change God. Now, I'm not for sin, and I'm not saying sin is not a big deal. It is such a big deal that Jesus came to die for it. Amen. But I'm saying sin changes us. It changes how we view God, how we see God. It changes how we love God. But it don't change God. And it don't change God towards you. For while you were yet a sinner, God demonstrated that I loved them. And I died for them. 
And don't you ever, ever believe the lie that because you have sinned, because you've blown it, because you've done this or this sin or that sin or this big sin or little sin or whatever it is that somehow God's view of you has changed or been altered or that he don't like you. For that is a lie. That is an eternal lie of the devil. It's a lie. Because before sin ever was, God made a plan to redeem you from it. And sin don't change God. God don't react to sin today. God don't respond. God's not going to send Hurricane Florence to deal with sin. I remember, you read my blog, I put all this in there, but I remember Katrina, you back there, baby? What's your name mean? Say it again. Pure. Her name means pure. I was going to see if she knew that because I looked it up on Google yesterday and that's what Google told me her name meant. <laughs> Raise your hand, Katrina, so they know I ain't making you up. There she is. That's one of our elders' wives. Much more than that. But Katrina, you know what people think about when they hear her name now? New Orleans, Hurricane. And I watched preachers this week on social media talking about Florence, but yet they reminded, and this is what this, well known, if I called the name, you would know them, both of them. And, they, and they, were, they, was, they, they referenced us back to Katrina because this is when they were, had Florence out here saying just monster category four, beast. They were calling it a beast and a monster is coming. And they were equating it to Katrina, which was horrific hurricane. Now, this prophet said just this week, he said, remember now Katrina he said the name Katrina actually means cleansing. And that God had sent Katrina, the hurricane to New Orleans, to cleanse them of their sin. Again, well, why did Jesus come? I thought his blood is what cleansed us. So apparently it's not Jesus, it's hurricanes we need. So this is what he said. And so Florence, but you know, so I didn't believe the prophet. Yay, yay, nay, nay. So I didn't turn to the Bible, I turned to Google. And Google said, he is a lie, and he is the father of the lies, because that is not what Katrina means. Katrina means pure. So God sent something pure in there, if that was God. So I said, I wonder what Florence means. Florence means flowering. Flowering. Or budding. Or blossoming. But it's based flowering. What are they going to do with that one? How are they going to turn that into something with the devil? I guess God wants that North Carolina area to blossom and flower. God ain't sending no hurricane up there. I had a North Carolina start to call the denomination, and I caught myself. But it's a big one. It's a big one in the south. It's a big one. Very big church in North Carolina. This is what he wrote. I'll put it in my blog for you. I'll, I'll put his quote in there. But this is what he said. He said, God has proven to us that he will send natural disasters and use them to bring judgment on sin. And he cited the flood of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction. And he said, there's many other things. And he said, let us not forget that Jesus commanded the winds and the sea in the New Testament. And then he ended his discussion because he's telling us that God. So in other words, what he was saying was that if anytime there's wind and something blowing, that God's behind it. I want to say, uh, whoa, time out, bro. Let's talk about your New Testament reference of Jesus commanding the wind and the sea. What was he doing? 
He was rebuking the wind. He was rebuking the sea. He was commanding those storms to stop and desist and be still and be no more. And so if his father God sent those storms, then Jesus was rebuking his own father. Them storms was of the devil. That's why Jesus rebuked them. I had another prophet. I'll put this in my blog as well. He quoted Isaiah 29. And there's a verse that says, I will punish you for your sins with wind and tempest and with fire. And he went so far as to say the fires that have happened, hit that town north of Boston and Florence together is God's judge in that area because of their sin. What a lie. That's why I say it's a wonder anybody comes to church anywhere after they hear these knuckleheads. Because if they don't know anything about God, they think that's how he is. That's not who he is. And I love my job of unpacking and unwrapping those lies. And I don't like nobody talking about my daddy, natural or supernatural daddy. I dreamed last night about my dad. I dreamed my dad walked onto this parking lot of this tremendous dealership. My daddy used to have a pickup truck. I sold it for him about a year ago because he wanted it gone. My daddy walked on there and they said, Miss John, what kind of truck you want? And he said, well, I'm just kind of looking for a pickup, you know. And uh, this man came, walked out to my dad. He said, we have a very special truck for you, Miss John. He said, we've never had one on the lot like it. He said, it's gold. It's all gold. They drove a golden pickup truck. I dreamed this last night. My dad got in that golden pickup truck. And he drove off. I woke up in the middle of the night last night with the Spirit of the Lord on me. God said, son, I'm going to pick up your daddy. Golden chariot got Elijah. Big, nice pickup got my daddy. I don't know when that pickup is coming. I'd rather my daddy walk in in health and healing and walk back and take his place right here on this road with y'all. But either way, my daddy's healed. Either way. Either way. Hallelujah. Ain't nobody going to leave him sick. Everybody going to get 100% healing of everything that's ever bothered you. That's the promise you got to know. You live your life off the language of God's promises to you. You be encouraged today. If you've doubted God on some things he's promised you 10, 20 years ago, please go dust those off and hold them back up.